0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Goddess of Crypto. I am here with an old friend of mine. I mean, she's not old, but our friendship is very old at this point. We've known each other over 10 years. Erin Pym and I met because she came with me on one of my tours to Egypt about 100 years ago, I think. And then we got reconnected during my... Experiences with coming into the crypto space. So, Aaron has very graciously and I admit somewhat reluctantly agreed to talk to me today, and I'm so excited.
1: The sacred divine feminine is creative, abundant, flowing, receiving, and disruptive. And the new energy of money including cryptocurrency, decentralized finance, NFTs, and even the metaverse is all these things too. Welcome to the goddess of crypto, a weekly show where women who are already in this powerful space will cover these topics simply so you can relax into knowing that the future of finance is female. So Erin, thank you for being here.
2: My pleasure, Holly. I'm really excited to share some of the lessons that I've learned and my journey in crypto, which is like the crypto market had its ups and downs.
0: Yes, I know the feeling. So as you may be hearing, Erin is Australian. So she's living in the land down under. And so I feel like that's very interesting to me because most of the women that I've had on the show so far as guests have been American or Canadian. And I think I interviewed at least one person who was Australian, but like living in the United States. So I'm excited to have you on, yay. And my crypto broker is in Australia, for example. So I'm interested to hear like what's going on over there. What does crypto look like? From an Australian's perspective?
2: Well, I can only sort of give you my frame of reference for my crypto journey here specifically. It started back in the US years ago, lived in Seattle up till 2011, and was very much involved in the sort of tech bubble there. So, cryptocurrency, car- actually, Bitcoin specifically came across our radar. It was in the early days when people were still talking about using Bitcoin to pay for their coffees and pizzas. I mean, can you imagine now if if you'd used five Bitcoin to pay for a coffee? Oh, I know people who did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So like it burns a hole in my heart just thinking about it. But I'm like, that could be my retirement fund right now if I paid for a pizza, which is crazy. And actually one of the things that sort of brought me back to crypto a couple of years ago. So here in Australia, We obviously do have a little bit different regulations than the states. We have different platforms than you do. We have different tax implications.
0: You have different weather. I am noticing that. If anybody's watching this on YouTube right now, you're seeing this. But if you're listening on one of the different streaming platforms, you're missing the fact that I live in Miami and it's August and Erin lives in Australia and it's August, which is winter there. So Aaron is like so bundled up and I'm like practically naked. And that just makes me really, it's just example of the complete contrast here and there. So, and I'm in the
2: Southern part of Australia. So it's pretty much the coldest other than Gippsland where the sort of, it's not the great dividing range, but it's where the majority of the ski hills are. So it's a little bit colder there, but we pretty much are the coldest spot in Australia. So.
0: You look like you're going to ski this week. So maybe later today. (laughs) I do have to bundle up a little bit here.
2: Yeah. So again, there are some different implications here in Australia specifically, specifically around tax and the different platforms that we can use. But in general, I think that all the reasons why I would use cryptocurrency, all the methods that I do would be very similar to the United States. And in fact, the majority of sort of my teachings or learnings, have come from the U.S. And the adage is true. Everything you know, I learned on YouTube. It's a great place for resources. It's somewhere that I turn to on a daily basis to actually keep up with markets and just and the most recent news. And that way I can sort of track not only my portfolio, but what I feel is trending in the general overall macro view of cryptocurrency.
0: So you talked about like around 2012 and the idea that we could buy a pizza or coffee with Bitcoin and so many Bitcoin because it was so worthless compared to what it is now. When was it that you first got into crypto and what was it that drew you into it? It's a bit of a harrowing story, quite honestly. Can't wait. Okay. Yeah.
2: (laughs) So it was about 2017, actually. And my ex and I had just sold our house in Seattle We've been over here for six or seven years already. And one of those interesting learning journeys, we bought it just before the GFC happened. So we bought it in 2006, 2007. And almost immediately, we went far underwater on the house. (laughs) So when we decided to move to Australia, it was originally just going to be a couple of years and just sort of an experimental trip, which ended up being a permanent move. But we re- maintained our house in Seattle until we found that the market had bounced back and we were at another peak. And so we decided to sell our house then. So the challenge was bringing currency over to Australia. And obviously there's some pretty big implications, both in taxation and how you move money around. And one of the easiest ways to do that was through cryptocurrency. Now. That was sort of the forefront of how do we actually do this? We didn't end up doing it that way, but I ended up loaning my portion of the house to my ex who started up a mining farm here. So he actually started mining Litecoin and setting up a business here. So I loaned him the portion of the house proceeds to start up that business. And that's how we started onto our cryptocurrency vision now. That business, again, with the volatility and the crypto market, the ups and the downs, we know what happened right after the peak of 2017. And the business almost immediately failed because the cost of the electricity to mine when the price of at the time he was mining Litecoin. So there's obviously different miners And machines required for different types of mining, whether it's Litecoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin, et cetera, et cetera. So, and at the same time, the replacement value for those miners was dropping rapidly and becoming much more expensive. First of all, less profits in the mining because the value of Litecoin at that time and everything in the market dropped so rapidly. The cost of energy rose exponentially here in Australia, the ASIC miners just ended up becoming so incredibly expensive that it just, it was untenable to do that business. So at that time I was actually getting paid out in profits through Litecoin and then converting the Litecoin to Bitcoin and paying bills and doing a few other things like that. So that's where I sort of really dipped my toes into the cryptocurrency. I Ended up sort of walking away from it completely for a couple of years because I had other priorities, but it's only been in the last couple of years where, well, the last two years really that I've heavily started investing again in dca into multiple different types of cryptocurrency.
0: So when Erin says DCA, she's saying dollar cost average, which basically just means buying it regularly instead of buying at a particular point or a particular price point. And it's a way to really minimize your risks, certainly your emotional risks, because if you just know, like, I'm buying Bitcoin every Friday, that really helps. It doesn't matter what the price is. So for a lot of people, dollar cost averaging is also considered a good way of making sure that you are kind of protected against those highs and lows. So thank you for sharing all of that. I'm curious, you were talking about paying bills using Bitcoin. Like you didn't say, well, I was converting that Litecoin to cash. You're saying I was converting that Litecoin to Bitcoin. And that's really interesting. What was it like to set up your crypto wallets and to try to transact? If you were doing that in 2017 and 2018, there were people who were taking it, but it was certainly not the kind of adoption that we're seeing today, which is still pretty nascent. So what were you seeing? What was your experience there?
2: Quite honestly, I can't even recall. I think when I first started stocking crypto away, I th- it's been a while now, but I think it was Coinbase that I was using. Coinbase and CoinJar, they were literally just wallets that I was using to transfer and doing very minor sort of trade exchanges because at that time, there were very few cryptocurrencies that were available for trading. So I believe that. Coinbase had you know Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, and a few others. And Cardano, so it was easy. yeah. <laughs> Cardano. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it was really easy to trade them at that point. So as long as you had one wallet, you were able to use a website here in Australia that I use a couple of different websites now. But the website I used back then and I still use occasionally was called Living Room of Satoshi.
0: Living Room of Satoshi. Oh my goodness, that's fun.
2: Yeah, so it's specifically an Australian-based website and I was put onto it by someone else who said, oh, listen, you can pay your telephone bills and your water bill. Here in Australia, we have a national payment system called BPAY. And as long as you are registered with BPAY, you can do direct payments. This is before sort of OSCO and all the the sort of instant payments came through or were available. And it still was like a three-day process of paying your bills, you know, and had to go through how many different layers of payment before it would settle. And this was instantaneous. So it was easy enough for me to put my BPAY and my account number into Living Room of Satoshi, then it would give you a wallet address to send it to. So I would send copy or use the QR code, copy that from my wallet, send the exact amount that it required because Living Room of Satoshi, the way they make their money is on arbitrage of currency exchange. So they would say this exact dollar, here's your QR code, or here's your wallet address, send it. And as soon as that validated on the blockchain, you know, so with some blockchains takes longer than others, some are more expensive than others. So depending which chain you were transferring that on, it would either be pretty much instantaneous or could take up to 20 to 30 minutes to actually see that everyone's had that moment of when you're transferring money from wallet to wallet, <laughs> you can see that it's gone out of one account, but it hasn't led in the other. And then that it's just like this heart attack sitting at the desk, refreshing your screen, waiting to see that money has been transferred
0: properly. So, which is ironic because imagine making an online payment through your bank and like, well, why didn't they get it yet? We don't think like that. We're like, oh, it's going to take a week or whatever that really changes it. I think everyone's had the experience
2: at this point too, because this was a big learning experience for me. Everyone's had that experience at some point using the wrong chain to to transfer from wallet to wallet. And so I have a MetaMask wallet. And on my MetaMask wallet, I've got six different chains. I've got Polygon, Ethereum, Finance Chain, Aave, and I can't even remember what else I have in there. And then on top of that, I've got all the native wallets sitting. I've got a Polkadot wallet. I've had a Luna wallet. I have the Cardano wallet, all of those. And even today, and I consider myself fairly savvy nerve-wracking to move money back and forth from Coinbase to Binance or from FTX to Coinbase or whatever it happens to be. Because unless it's Ethereum or Bitcoin, you don't know which chain it's necessarily transferring on. It's scary. So the whole idea of transferring a tiny amount or the most minimum amount possible on your first transfer to make sure that it does land up at the wallet, that you do have the correct addresses, and then transferring a larger amount that was a lesson that I had to learn.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting because they're saying that like there will be a billion people who have adopted using crypto within the next four years based on the current rate of adoption. And while I find that that's probably accurate the idea that you're going to be scared while you're doing it, I think is very concerning. And that's the kind of thing where really like everything is just speeding up so much with time these days. But I feel like there's needs to be like a much faster technology leap, quantum leap in technology to enable people to do that from a place of safety and not fear. I'm on a lot of local news shows on TV these days People, the usual question that I get from an interviewer is crypto safe. And I tell people, look, it's a lot like your Apple pay. You stick your phone down on the top of the cash point and the transaction happens in, like within a couple of seconds and you're not worried about it. It just says approved and you're done and you're off to the races. And that's really, I think what will, you know, most people will see. But I think that there needs to be that fix needs to come in with the technology so that we're not scared. We don't have to have our hearts in our mouths as we're trying to make that transaction. There's still most definitely a usability factor in
2: cryptocurrency. You still have to be somewhat technology savvy in order to do that. But I'm also finding that on a regular basis, there are systems that are making it easier. I recently found one here called BitPay, and BitPay is like your standard wallet and platform and it has a debit card credit card that you can now use with apple pay so i can tap and use that crypto card and it's a prepaid system depending on which card you go so there's that system and then there's something like a crypto.com where crypto.com does the same thing based on the level that you have it's like a standard credit card and it integrates with your google and your apple pay and what we really need in order to truly have that parabolic curve in adoption is those simple, usable, 100% complete trust systems that are accessible to everyone on a mobile phone. So we're getting there slowly. We have definitely been through the wild west of adoption, and we're much stronger for it, I think, in the long run. But for worldwide adoption, it really is going to require a simplified system where I know that I'm getting paid into my bank account. My bank account instantly takes that and puts that on my crypto card or transfers it to whatever wallet, and I can spend it directly from that wallet if I, if I want to.
0: Yeah. You said something else that I really wanted to just ask a little bit more about, because I think it's so important. You said at the time you were getting paid in profits from the Litecoin mining, and that meant that you were paying your bills through passive income created by crypto. And I wanted to ask if that felt different for you than making that money from a trading time for dollars kind of perspective.
2: So I need to clarify that. And I might not have been very clear the first time around. I was getting paid my loan out through cryptocurrency, through Litecoin. So it wasn't passive income. I wasn't passively making money on that. I was actually using it in a very literally hand-to-mouth type of way. I was getting paid back my loan in cryptocurrency. I was using that cryptocurrency to pay my bills. Instead of investing all of that into different types of coins or investment, that went into the business and the business was slowly paying me back on that loan. So at that point, I did actually require some of those funds
0: because... You needed to eat... Yeah. (laughs) Just to give you a historical
2: reference, I'm a single mom. I live in Australia. I have no family here and had no means of support from my ex-partner. So I had to land on my feet. I consider myself a cat and I do have nine lives, but I really had to sort of make ends meet at that point. So that journey has changed quite a bit. And now I'm in a much better financial position, but I was thinking about some of the reasons of why I actually invest in cryptocurrency. And a big portion of that is number one, I'm a super geek. I don't have the IT background and I don't have the education for it, but I'm an engineer at heart and anything that's new and anything that is sort of flashy, I don't want to call cryptocurrency flashy at all, but anything that sort of strikes me and comes across my desk as This is a disruptive technology. This is something that can literally change the financial system and put it back into our hands. And there's the Gen X anarchist in me who says, screw the system. And this is one of the ways that we can work our way around that. And although at this point, I'm still very much tied to the traditional standard financial system, I've done as much as I feel like I can. That's good for me to get out of that system. So not only is it the technology and sort of the independent side of things, but because I'm a single mom and I've not had the ability to tuck away as much for my retirement as I would like to up to this point, I also saw that cryptocurrency was probably the biggest opportunity for myself and generational wealth. You hear the Michael Saylors and you hear the Ray Dalios and you hear all of the Bitcoin Max he's talking about generational wealth. And when you see, again, bearing in mind that there's a lot of volatility in cryptocurrency specifically, that the opportunities for the expansion of that money <laughs> is tenfold compared to property, compared to stocks. And I would always say that you need to be very careful. You need to understand your risk tolerance. You need to understand how to diversify your assets and there's lots of ways of doing that like i diversify my portfolio specifically so that i have stock standard top 5 or 6 platforms and then that makes up 60 or 70% of my portfolio and then i have another 20% that might be in medium risk assets and then another 20 that are fairly high risk assets but if only, like in venture capital, if only one of those pops and does a hundred X, that's all I need. <laughs> so right now, we look at how the retracement in the cryptocurrency market has come back to where we're at right now. I think we're sitting at almost twenty four thousand dollars. Again, when we saw those wicks go down in June to or in July to seventeen 000, eighteen thousand dollars, it's generational opportunity to buy into cryptocurrency at this point. We'll never see it lower than we will. Have we hit the bottom? I'm not sure. There might be a little way to go back down. We're going to go up and down. We're in this macro economic situation where the NASDAQ has gone up 50% in the last six weeks. like It's exploded again. And yet the government is still raising interest rates. And yet we're still redefining what a recession is. And I don't think we're truly through this at the moment. So I'm setting my cash aside and I'm waiting for those additional bottoms and wicks to purchase in at lower pricing. So instead of dollar cost averaging, which I highly recommend for someone who is not interested in watching the markets, doesn't want to learn how to trade is the best thing to do is dollar cost averaging. You can do that through your bank account. You literally have a withdrawal that goes to your crypto wallet every week. You're making sure that you're doing an automatic buy into 0.01 of a bitcoin every two weeks or once a month or whatever happens to be the best way for you to average in on a weekly basis.
0: You're making so much sense. And there are a couple of things that I probably should just have explained about what you just said. So I'm going to mention that a wick is a candle wick and the candle wick is what it looks like on a chart when something's going up or something's going down. But Erin, I just really want to say that In listening to you, I mean, I have a lot of really sophisticated crypto people on this show and all of them women, and you really hold your own. I mean, I could totally see you getting a job in the crypto industry, which, among other things, is extremely remote as far as the work goes. So nobody's going to care where you are, Australia or Canada or Seattle or whatever, it wouldn't even matter. I do want to mention to you that there's a desire to get more women into crypto there's often not an easy place to do that. I know that there's a bulletin board and I think it's on Telegram where it's called like crypto jobs or something where they list it. And then I'm now a member of a group that I think must've started here in Miami, um, but it's about a thousand women in there now. And it's a lot of women in NFTs, also women in blockchain, women in Bitcoin, like there's a group for all of that. The group that I really like, because I just feel that there's the energy of women participating and supporting each other, which I've found to be really like all over crypto in general is women supporting each other. And that's a group called Tuttle Tribe. Now, Julia Tuttle is the only woman to found a major American city. She founded Miami. And Tuttle Tribe was named after her. And it was started by, I know there's a woman named Michelle Abs, and who I hope as a guest on the show coming up soon. But I think there's a couple of other women that founded Tuttle Tribe. It's just really a supportive environment. And then they're always posting, there's a job opportunity here, there's a job opportunity here. I know that Kathy Hackle, who calls herself the godmother of the metaverse, has found a really good niche marketing herself and her company by consulting to mainstream brands who are interested in getting into the crypto space for the first time. Like every company in the world right now either knows about crypto and is already involved, very, very small percentage, or has knows nothing about crypto, but knows it's coming, sees the juggernaut and says, how do I get ahead of it so that I don't get mowed over? And so for women who are already have their heads wrapped around the space, there's going to be a lot of opportunity to really educate everybody. And I'm doing it through this podcast, but I really think that you would do well as a consultant. So I'm going to hook you up with the Tuttle Tribe people and with every other place that I can find because somebody needs your obviously vast expertise. You may say like, oh, I just got this information about YouTube. But we get to a point where we've assimilated enough of it and we begin to have that comprehension. And now we can begin to give that back in a way that is cohesive and in a way that is gives clarity and in a way that educates. And then we are the ones who become the experts after a while. And I studied crypto at least two hours a day for over a year before I launched the podcast. I was terrified to launch the podcast. And eventually I was like, I'm gonna do this and other women who know more about it will come on and they'll educate me and the audience at the same time. And that has been really what's happened along with my continuing to get the information. And I haven't said this out loud yet, but I'm developing my first crypto project right now. And I love it. And as we're developing the white paper, I'm like, well, this needs to be explained like this. And this needs to be explained like this. And can we chalk that up to my years doing software development? Sure. But it's more than that. It's like understanding the market. And I feel like we all start somewhere. And you said 2017. For me, I also, I had a portfolio in 2017. But all I understood then was about, hey, this is a new way to invest in money. I often tell the story that I went to my friend who's like one of the Bitcoin OGs in 2012, I think, and was like, tell me about this Bitcoin thing. And then couldn't get any of the guys in my life to begin to mine it. Now, on the one hand, I'm like, well, this is tragic. And on the other hand, there are so many stories about people who had all that cheap Bitcoin and didn't do anything with it. And I've got family members who were in Ethereum when Ethereum was like 0.000. 000 blah, 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 blah. And eventually when it got to the point where it was a dollar a coin, you were like, thank goodness. And you sold it immediately because this thing was totally unknown. Didn't make any sense. was probably going to go in the toilet tomorrow because we didn't understand kind of the future projections of the industry. So I just think there's so much opportunity for you and for women everywhere as we are still so early in this process. So I'm going to hook you up.
2: You speak to a lot of the points that really like hit my heart specifically about the reason that I'm in crypto and I don't want to say blind trust, but sometimes some days it feels like blind trust, especially this last three or four months, especially in early 2018. And yet if you had invested in 2018, when we hit the bottom of the market, and again, nobody can time the top, nobody can time the bottom. But if you had the conviction at that point to invest, you'd be sitting a thousand X in a lot of those coins and what would it have cost you to invest $1000 back then to have the returns that it that we have now now those returns are gradually diminishing we're not going to have those types of returns on a lot of coins there's a lot more scam in the market and it behooves you to be really careful about what you're investing in who you're investing with i truly believe in the whole not your keys not your crypto thing so i spread my Portfolio across multiple wallets. I have a small bits of investing where I do leverage trading on certain platforms. Others are just investing and trading because I get much better rates on them. And I think for a lot of women, it can be really daunting that whole technology side of things. Whereas I believe when we talk about that whole sort of orange pilling people and introducing them to Bitcoin what it is, what the blockchain is, how this happens. We're now doing the same thing with NFTs and having to explain to people what are NFTs. You know, When people say, oh, they're a scam and it's just a JPEG, them truly not understanding the implications of what an NFT is and how that will change our world, not only with the impending metaverse that's coming, but in long-term data storage, your own identity, medical records, music rights, It's not real estate. It's not fractionalization of just about anything, right? Fractionalization and tokenization of everything. I think the more that we can share our knowledge, I find sometimes it's really difficult to find my voice when I'm speaking to other women about this because the pervasive, oh, everything in crypto is a scam and these narratives that have followed along in the media for so long. And there is obviously a really large portion of that out there. You have to be very, very careful where you invest who you invest with, what wallets you're using. Do you keep it on a hard wallet or a cold wallet or what type of wallet you're using or whether you're keeping it on exchange period, but trying to explain and sort of get across those ideas of why cryptocurrency is changing everything and how to get past that narrative, finding the stories or the implications. How is this going to affect your life? In 10 years from now, how will you be using NFTs? How will your banking change? How will your investment strategy change? Why not sit down and learn a little bit about it now? Don't be afraid. It's a fear of rejection in me that wants to slow down and not share as much as I think I have the ability to. And I love the idea of the women supporting women. And I have a very strong group of women friends, but I don't know a lot of women who are involved. Actually, I think you're probably the first one that I've come across who's actually involved in cryptocurrency and who supports it. Everyone else I've come across, it says it's a scam and they're doing the same things the banks do. And I'm like, when you look at some of the stories and the things that have happened recently, like with the whole Terra collapse, three arrows capital, and I don't want to put the scare stories out there. I don't want to scare people into not thinking that they should be investing. But cryptocurrency has come to the point where the larger financial institutions and people who know how to leverage it properly are literally using it the same as the financial system for instant wealth, for quick gains, for all those bits and pieces. And there's still so much manipulation in the market. You can see it when I look at the charts on a day when we have really low volume, and then we just see this, again, massive wick down.
0: SHIB went up 32% in one day. And they said it was probably because of a whale putting that much money in because they didn't have the volume. 100%.
2: And they know exactly how to manipulate that market. So for us to try and change that narrative, there's just, it's impossible. Like you literally have to have cojones of steel to be in this, but you also have to have, and this is probably the most important point to get across is that you have to have a long-term perspective in this. You have to believe that the layer ones and the coins that you're investing are going to be around for the long term. Now, will Ethereum be around? in 20 years from now? I don't know. There are faster, smarter, better chains popping up every single day. And we're at that point where it's a critical adoption, right? And it's the onboarding, the chains that are going to get the most adoption are the ones that are going to win, period. Ethereum's doing really well because they've got all their level to the arbitrums, the optimistic, the roll-ups. They've got a lot working for them, right? And they're also moving over to this whole proof of stake that's going to change
0: Supposedly, yeah. Supposedly, supposedly. If you're listening to this and Aaron is just like talking over the very tippity-tippity top of your head, don't worry because you don't need to know all of this right away. This is like Crypto 3.0, I'll call it. Not Web 3, but rather like just the higher level learning than you often get on the show. And there's nothing wrong with that, but there may be things that you're not familiar with just tripped off her tongue, these three technologies that are just now like starting to be heard of and starting to be adopted, like the ZK rollups, for example. And the important thing isn't that you understand the technology if you're listening to this. The important thing is that you understand what Aaron's principle is here, which is that you want to be thinking in terms of this for the long term and not be thinking in terms of this for the short term. And the reason Erin knows so much about it is she has begun to research it. We fall down our rabbit holes. Erin has her rabbit holes. I have my rabbit holes. Believe me, we spend lots of time down at the bottom of the rabbit holes exploring. But these choices help us to understand what it is that what energetically we are drawn to, because ladies, remember, your intuition is a part of this process. They call it women's intuition for a reason. And you have a chance now to get education, which is kind of like I'll call it the masculine side of things is like the data, the learning piece. And then to remember that crypto, as Aaron said earlier, is a disruptive technology. There is something inherently feminine because in order to disrupt, you have to create. And the creation aspect is the feminine aspect. So there's this piece of crypto that really, I think most people aren't taking into consideration. I do know a couple of women who are using astrology to predict crypto pricing. Now, I haven't found them to be more or less accurate than anybody else. They're also charting the heck out of things. If I were saying like, oh, the moon is in Leo and the second sun is rising in Pisces today, and therefore it's a great day to buy whatever Cardano, that's a different conversation from, well, the charts say, and plus I have this little extra oomph because I'm using astrology. So, I think that that's important that we not like rely too much on just our guidance. But I will tell you that getting that education, relying on your guidance in combination, Aaron's talking about some really powerful basic principles here, like trusting your instincts and also like understanding that you're in this for the long term. Aaron, I want to go back for just a second to what you said about having a hard time finding your voice. I hope that today's call. This episode that we're recording will allow you to feel empowered that your expertise is actually kind of, it's pretty vast. I've gotten to talk to some women who have been in the space for five years who study this stuff like crazy, and you feel like you could absolutely hold your own with any of them. So I feel like that's an important point for you to just understand that you have a lot more expertise. When we first get started learning something, I think we have a tendency to think of ourselves as still being there like, oh, I'm still in the kindergarten of this thing. And you're actually in high school and you're not really realizing that. So in the case of crypto, all of you who are listening to this, if you don't know a thing about crypto, that's fine. Everybody started there. I started there. Aaron started there. Everybody I've ever interviewed on the show started there and not too long ago. Like People call themselves OGs, like the original gangsters, if they were in the crypto space in 2017. Now, for me, you got to be at 2009 to 2012, OG, Like you got to have known about Bitcoin the first day that Satoshi Nakamoto showed up and said, hey, let's let's do this thing. But you're just getting into it now. There may be this feeling of you're too late. You're so, so, so early. We are still at the early adopter stage. Aaron mentioned earlier the Wild West. Y'all have heard me talk about the Wild West almost on every single episode of the show. There was a time when the Wild West was not yet wild because people were just figuring it out and just starting to get out there. But because there was gold in them, their hills, as they say, there was a lot, like it grew up really, really fast. And then when the gold rush ended, it ended overnight. And it was like, that was it kind of like with prohibition. Like there was this definite start period, definite finish period. And crypto is not going to show up like that. Crypto is going to show up much more like the internet. In fact, if you were following it, we are at about maybe 1995 on the internet adoption scale where there were several million users, but we would not really seeing that quantum leap that we were talking about earlier that caused that first wave of mass adoption that will take us to that first billion people. But if we're talking about that happening in the next four years, that is pretty much mirroring the way that the internet showed up. I think that that's very likely. That's certainly the trajectory that like when I got all my downloads about the goddess of crypto and the thing that started me off on this podcast, that was one of the downloads that I got was that the trajectory of crypto and the internet were the same. Now I got on the internet and they were, that's what everybody was saying. And I was like, well, go figure because I love the intuitive guidance, but if we know that, we can plan accordingly and getting educated and, as Erin is doing, setting money aside so that you can buy those dips. I'm with Erin exactly on what she said about, I don't feel like the bottom of the market is in, and I'm setting money aside so that I'll have that money when the next big dip comes in, because I think we will have a big rally after that. And then Aaron also said that we're going to start seeing diminishing returns because it's not the huge volatility swings means money can be made so quickly and lost so quickly. But as it stabilizes, it still will be a very big growth market going forward. And most people are saying, certainly when it comes to Bitcoin, most people who know what they're talking about are saying Bitcoin will hit somewhere between a half a million dollars and a million dollars a coin. So our 25,000, or as Aaron was saying, like at the bottom of the 17 or 18,000, And maybe it'll go lower than that before it goes up, but it's a short-term thing. In the long-term over like the next 10 years, I think we're going to see some really important shifts. And Erin, I want to just address really quickly that I feel like it's so important to hear a woman like you and to hear that you feel alone in your crypto journey with other women. I don't because I interview great women like you pretty much like every other week, there's another woman on my show. But if you don't hang out in these circles, like I'm lucky I'm in Miami this coming weekend, I'm going to another crypto conference and I'm going to room with a fabulous crypto chick that I love. And I'm going to hang out with all the crypto women for two days straight. And I do that seven, eight times a year in my own backyard. But I think that for a lot of women who aren't as lucky as I am to be in the crypto capital of the world, there is a certain amount of isolation. So that's where these Telegram groups, Discord groups, Twitter channels, and between Clubhouse, Telegram, and Twitter these days, and LinkedIn to a lesser extent, there are a lot of crypto like live conversations where you can participate. And I think that that helps us to feel less alone. And I think that having shows like this can make you feel less alone because there's other women talking about this all the time. And then there's who you choose to hang out with. I'm not saying get new friends, but <laughs> but perhaps there will be other women that also feel alone and maybe would be willing to sit down with you or talk to you or whatever, because I feel like more and more women are getting this call. Maybe they don't understand it. Maybe they don't feel it as strongly as you do. You said you've been going on blind trust for a while. And I also have to acknowledge you for doing that. That's so powerful because I think a lot of people are afraid to do that. And you haven't been. You've been really been willing to do that. So I just think that's an amazing thing. Are some women in Australia,
2: obviously, it's a big country. But to go right back to the very beginning of the story, I'm actually in the middle of the country. So it's really difficult for me to connect other than online. There are some meetup groups and there are, is a bit of sort of crypto happenings and meetup groups in Melbourne specifically. So that's about a three hour drive for me. So that's a bit of a challenge. And I also want to say that there's also a real concern that you can really get yourself into an echo chamber, and I find that with people who are so passionate about what it is that they're doing, and for me specifically right now, it's cryptocurrency. As much as it is wonderful to have that backup, that reassurance, and have those conversations around things that we're all passionate about, that you can sort of have this echo chamber of news and conversation, and I feel that's also quite dangerous. I feel that's also quite dangerous. We've seen how that's affected politics around the world in the last couple of years. So I am very cautious about this, but it's also because I spend a lot of time, like you say, two hours a day. I'm probably easily into that every day, whether it's following my favorite chartists, whether it's reading and keeping up with the news cycle and what's happening, just because it's such a passion of mine, quite honestly, (laughs) I'm hook, line, and sinker into it at the
0: moment. So... (laughs) I love this. I love this. All right. I have one more question for you. And that is, what is one more thing that you want our women listeners to know? I think it's not a piece of knowledge. It's a piece of
2: advice. And I'm going to sort of regurgitate this back to you. But it's, I have had a really hard time following my gut instinct. And especially over this last four months, I heavily invested about a year ago, which is when we started to see the market dip heavily, and then a bull in November, December, and then drop radically again this year. And to stick with it, because you believe in the principle of what cryptocurrency is and how it can change the world. This is the primary reason that I'm involved. It's a way of me having my independence financially. It's a way of me asserting myself and having control. And it's also me having trust in what I think is the best thing and what I can do for myself, my daughter, and the world moving forward in general.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful and so important. Thank you so much. I love it. This has been another episode of Goddess of Crypto with my guest today, Erin Pym. I am so excited that I get your comments. I'm sure you're going to have things to say about this episode. Please like it and please share it with all the women that you know, your moms and your daughters and your besties and your wives and your partners and everybody, all the women that you know, I want all of the women of the world to know about this future wave and energy of money until next time.
1: Every week, transformational wealth coach, Hallie Evelyn, leads a conversation that helps to ensure that women everywhere can learn to surf the coming tsunami of the new energy of money. You can find her at goddessofcrypto.me. That's goddessofcrypto.me. Be sure to subscribe to Goddess of Crypto on your favorite platform or watch the show on YouTube. And remember, wealth isn't just your privilege, it's your right.